0: I could actually tell you all about the Rocktown Disc Golf Club and Disc Golf, but I only have time for one talk. I've given a lot of time and a lot of energy to that club, so um, it's probably something you've heard maybe from me before, like I play disc golf, so sorry, maybe I talk about it too much. Uh, Like Will said, my name is Dan. Um, I'm on staff with crew. Uh, My my, uh, teammates like uh, Jerry and Grace and Sarah, Beth, and Catherine, you'll hear from them, at different times in the semester. Um, My wife's name is Emily. I actually have a picture of her. Um, You may actually meet Emily this weekend because she's gonna be helping us out with Fall Retreat a little bit. Um, Oh, that's right. Um, So you may get a chance to meet her. We're both alumni from JMU. I graduated from JMU in 2014 and she graduated just last year, last December. Um, She has her first job. Uh, She's a social worker. She works in foster care um, down in Augusta County. So you you might get to meet her, get to know her a little bit. Uh, For both of us, our time in crew was very formative for us. And perhaps the most formative thing that that I ever did in crew was my senior year fall retreat. And our fall retreat is coming up in just 24 hours. And here's a funny fact, is that my senior year speaker was Matt Smethurst. It was his first time coming, and his uh, series of talks helped shape the direction for the rest of my life. He said some things, especially in the context of church, which I found to be very, uh, very helpful and very formative for how I went forward. So it's not too late for you to sign up. Raise your hand if you are signed up for Fall Retreat. Yeah, like just about everybody. Seriously, if you want to know what crew is all about, Fall Retreat is an excellent time to do that. You are going to see us for uh, maybe in our truest form as a community, for all the good and the bad that that is. Um, so if you are a visitor here tonight, uh, I just want to take a, take a second and acknowledge you and welcome you for coming. There is something important that you need to know about us in Crew, and that is that we are guided and shaped by God's word. We, we believe that what the Bible says is actually true and it's actually relevant for your lives as college students and for everyone. So. This is the time in our weekly gathering where we will like open up the Bible and we'll read it together and ask ourselves, what is the truth that God has for us today? If you don't come from like a Christian-y sort of background, that actually might be a new concept for you. It it could be a little bit strange. So again, I'm thankful that you're here. Um, Lean into that a little bit. I'd encourage you to like engage with the text with us, read along with us, Here's a spoiler alert. I'll cut you a little bit of slack. You don't actually have to believe everything that's in the Bible in order to read it and to benefit from it. So, if that's true of you, um, you're not really sure what you think. I'd still encourage you to follow along with us, lean in, engage with us, and you can decide for yourself if what you believe, if, if you believe the Bible is true. So, if you are a regular attender of Cruda, you know that we are in the middle of a series called Core Doctrine. We have been asking ourselves and considering what are the foundational beliefs that make the Christian faith unique. What are these foundational beliefs? As, as Christians, we are committed to like demoting worldly distinctions and promoting godly distinctions, the, the things that he says are good and right for us to be as Christians. Uh, about three weeks ago at go time, Chris and I were out doing evangelism, and we spoke to this guy named Wesley. And uh, Wesley was really cool. He was really happy to speak with us. We talked for 30, 45 minutes. We asked him all about his beliefs. He learned about his worldview, heard from him what he thinks about God. And then we shared with him what the Bible says about God and the gospel. And uh, in response, Wesley offered what I, I really believe is a fair objection. Um, he said, oh, well, that, I mean, that makes sense that you guys believe that because, you know, you guys were kind of raised the same and, you know, you came from similar backgrounds. So obviously you, you, you both would believe that. But like I wasn't raised that way, so there's no reason for me to believe that. Now, objectively, what Wesley was saying was false in that Chris and I actually didn't grow up in similar backgrounds. We didn't grow up in similar faith, faith backgrounds. So he didn't know that, though. Um, but I, I, do, I still think that his objection was fair. If it's true that our commitment to each other as Christians is only as deep as the background we come from or the social norms or the language that we speak then truly our our community is no different than any other community around the world. Most communities, they gather and they separate along the lines of personal preference, similar tastes, similar social norms. You'll notice there's no shortage of sports fan clubs around the world. People who are like extremely committed to each other on the basis of their mutual fandom of a sports team. And as soon as you stop being fan of that sports team, their commitment to you and your commitment to them is is non-existent. if it's true that our commitment to each other is based on these worldly sort of ideas, then our community is just about as deep as a thimble, right? But we as Christians, we need to commit to demoting those and promoting godly distinctions. Um, when, our Christian, when our non-Christian neighbors, when they see Christians bickering and arguing and even separating uh, on the basis of um, issues which are not all that foundational for Christians, why shouldn't they conclude that That the rest of the church is just about as deep, Um, so that is one reason why we're in this series. And, And one thing that I would hope that you will come out of this with is is the knowledge of like what are the right hills to die on for me as a Christian? What are the things that I need to like grasp hold of and not let go? And what are the things that I can let go of and allow grace? My hope for you tonight and for this series is that you will know how to articulate your faith. You'll know how to explain your faith to both Christians and non-Christians. You'll know what the Bible teaches, and, and it'll help you to be gracious with Christians who share the foundational beliefs, but who differ from you in these other secondary beliefs. So that's, that's my hope for you. Tonight we're gonna to be talking about what the Bible says about the doctrine of the church, the foundational doctrine of the church. We're gonna ask ourselves, what is God's design for his church? Is it, is it worth the trouble? Is it still worth the trouble for me to commit to a church? Do I, do I need the church? Don't you know that it's got a lot of imperfections? So do I actually need the church? Um, we're going to consider that topic. If you would like to do some further, deeper reading on the topic, this book was so, so helpful for me. It was helpful for this talk, and I actually read it several years ago as well. It's called Why Bother with the Church? It's by a fellow named Sam Albury. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him. So if for some deeper reading, I would definitely encourage you to buy this very short, very cheap book. It's called Why Bother with the Church. It was helpful for me in the topic. Okay, Um, before we start the topic of the church, I think that I need to acknowledge some things um, that are true of people in this room tonight. For some of you, the, the issue, the conversation about the church, it's a very comfortable conversation for you. You probably have good experiences with churches growing up. You have a lot of trust. You trust the church. You trust church leaders. And so talking about this is like not all that much of a a brave step for you. Um, But there are people here in this room tonight, I know for a fact, that this is a kind of a difficult conversation for them. Um, Even just the word church might bring up feelings and anxieties for you that you're not totally aware of, You're you're not, maybe not aware why. This, I recognize that this might be a tough topic for you to personalize, to make it true for you. If, you, if you're not familiar with that feeling, I want to help you understand why that might be difficult. Just by definition, the doctrine of the church is about how Christians relate to other Christians. And with that comes the recognition that Christians hurt other Christians. Christians are like sinful people. They hurt other Christians. Oftentimes, this Christian-on-Christian Christian hurt happens in the context of churches, and, and that's particularly disappointing because churches are supposed to be an environment where their relationships are characterized by love and trust for one another. And so when that is broken, it can, it can, it can shape the way that we even think about God in the church. As we begin the conversation, as we talk about this, I want to lay out some, some key gospel truths that will help us to frame the message. I wanted to acknowledge these truths. Um, the first is this, that all of us are sinful. All of us have rebelled against God. Christians are people who acknowledge their rebellion against God. And and by faith, they turn from their rebellion and they trust in Jesus for their salvation. Um, So becoming a Christian does not preclude you from being sinful and hurting other people. It doesn't mean that we're free from sin. Tim Keller puts it in this way. He says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Consequently, in your churches, there are real Christians, people who are really Christian, who will sin grievously against people in their churches. There are also people in your churches who might say that they're a Christian, um, but um, who are in fact not, and they will commit abuses in in the context of the church. Um, and, And what makes this even more complicated is that there are people outside the church, maybe people who even used to be Christians who now are not who are like really nice people, right? And who are really like kind and sympathetic towards church abuse. That's totally true. All of this makes the topic of the church kind of difficult to have for some people. So um, many people who have experienced pain in their churches have come to the conclusion that it is better that I would not be a part of a church than that I would be in there with the hypocritical Christians. And, And sometimes I really don't blame those people when they say that. So My aim today, I wish that I could. My aim is not to comprehensively address the reality of church abuse. But um, I, I hope that no matter how you're coming into this conversation, that you will be able to see that God's intention for his church, the way he has designed his church, is good and it is worth committing to. But if you are someone that has lost faith in that promise, if you're not someone that can really believe that very easily, Perhaps today um, all I can do is that I can help you to maybe gain some confidence again, maybe lay some sort of foundation to build back on, and I I, I pray that you would truly see that God has wonderful intentions for you in his church. So uh, let's consider what are God's intentions for his church, and is it worth your commitment to it? Our passage tonight is going to be Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which I don't typically do. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I usually read from the CSB. Um, It's what's going to be on the screen behind me. So you're welcome to follow it here. Your your phone Bibles can probably bring up the New Living Translation. It's Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to read the passage. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Would you help us to zone in? Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to have confidence in you? Lord, if there are people here who have profound um, pain and hurt associated with your church, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in a new way tonight. You would give them a, a, a new direction to build confidence in you. and Not in anything that I say, but in, in, in you and what your word says. So I pray that you would open our eyes and you would fill us with your spirit to know the truth that you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Let's read that real quick. It's Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. Here's 7. In the NLT, he says, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus, who is the head of the church, head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is growing, is healthy and growing and full of love. Okay. uh, If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, one very key um, ingredient to understanding the Bible is you have to know some of the context into which it was written. You can't just open up any page of any book and start reading and expect to understand it. You need to know the context. So this what we just read is the letter called Ephesians. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. These were real people. Like the, the, the people that he's writing to were real people living real lives. However, there were some differences, some obvious differences in the way the people were living 2,000 years ago than we live now. Um, the first one thing that might be important is that unlike the way that we live our lives today, there were not churches on every corner in Ephesus the concept of choosing a church like we choose food in the buffet would have been nowhere near their minds, right? Whereas today in Harrisonburg, there's dozens and dozens of churches. Um, That's a a relatively new experience for the Christian faith. So uh, that would not have been true of the people that he's writing to. So understand that as we think about this. Uh, Also, these Christians that Paul were writing to were very much living as minorities in their own context. Many of you who grew up a Christian, you probably have taken for granted that you maybe feel safe or you feel relatively secure, fairly represented as a Christian. That's not true of everybody. Um, but we, again, in the 21st century, we, we might have taken for granted in America that we're usually understood for who we are and, and secure and safe in our in our in our um, faith. And that's not necessarily the case of the people that he's writing to. When we read this passage. Two important questions come up right away which i which i feel need to be explained before we can really get to the truth of it um, the first is this kind of confusing bit in verse 9 and 10. it's confusing why he brings up the topic of the church and gifts and then he like immediately makes a segue and starts talking about jesus ascending and descending most scholars agree that this is like a parenthetical comment it's like an aside it is its own topic like paul kind of like um, he gets going he, he, start, he starts talking about, like, Jesus and his gifts, and then he goes off and, and, and he, he spends two and a half verses talking about Jesus ascending and descending. It is its own topic. It really deserves its own conversation, but for our purposes tonight, we're going to leave that on the side, um, we're, and we're going to gloss over it as we consider the topic of the church. The second question, and the, the thing that might be tripping some of you up, is the particular gifts that he kind of names out, and, and two in particular. He says, The apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets. They might be tripping some of you up. There are um, at least three ways that the Bible uses the word apostle. And and one that most of us are familiar with is like the big A apostle, the title given to leaders in the early church um, who were directly commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. That's like the definition of the big A apostle. There was a small group of these people. And by that definition, today, there's no one alive who would be considered an apostle. Because, right, like they all, the ones that saw Jesus resurrected are like dead now, right? However, um, the the word apostle does mean, is used in at least two other ways in the New Testament. Um, Usually uh, designating sort of someone who is like designated by a church to take a message, maybe to deliver a message on behalf of the church or on behalf of God. Even the same is true of prophets. There are like people in the Bible who are prophets, like big P prophets, and then there are otherwise normal Christians who may be operating as a prophet, who may be delivering a message from God or about the will of God. It's not clear in this passage what exactly Paul means by apostles and prophets. However, um, however however you fall on it, they're they're both true in the context of the larger passage. So, some people here tonight maybe come from a background where their pastor was called an apostle or a prophet. That doesn't necessarily mean anything improper. Some people come from a background where maybe your church taught that like the apostles and the prophets were true then, but that are not, that's not true now. Tonight in our conversation, we're going to assume the best. We are not going to try to land on this issue one way or another. We're going we're to like operate with grace towards each other. We're going to allow for both of them in our reading of this, and um, we'll just kind of kind kind of like allow people space in that issue. Okay, there are three things that this passage teaches us about the church. At least three things. The first, the the gifts that Jesus has for his church. The second is the goal that Jesus has for his church, and the third is the growth that we experience together in the church. The gifts, the goal, and the growth. So let's start with the gifts. What are the gifts that Jesus has for his church. One really important truth from this passage that we learn is that the church is Jesus' idea. Remember a couple weeks ago, we had Eric come and he spoke about God's word. He told us something really helpful. He said, Jesus didn't just come and die and then leave. He gave us the church. He established the church. Jesus loves the church. He calls the church his bride. Sam Albery in his book, he says, Jesus is so committed to the church that he, um, that he marries it, <laughs> that he marries the church. Jesus cares for his church. He cultivates his church. In this passage, we see that he showers his church with gifts. He, he gives gifts with, which will contribute to our spiritual thriving and our spiritual health. In, in verse 7 and verse 11, he says, just cutting out that middle section, he says, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. These are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Have you ever, like me, have you ever received a gift that you, when you got it, you like really didn't even know what it was? Um, And you want to be nice, and so you're like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. But internally, you're like, what do I even do with that? This right here, my mom gave me this for Christmas. Oh, Will, you ruined it. <laughs> I got this for Christmas, and, my, and I was like, Mom, thank you. But internally, I'm like, what is that? And why are you giving it to me? <laughs> and I was going to say that if anyone could tell me what it is, I'll buy you coffee. But since I didn't say it, Will, I don't owe you coffee anymore. <laughs> He just knows what it is. Even though I've been trying to buy you coffee for years, dude. You're slippery. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I I really had no idea what this was. I needed um, the person who gave it to me to explain. Sort of like, what's the purpose of this gift exactly? If we're being honest, some of us are probably looking at this passage and we're thinking, like, what what are, is that? What are these gifts? And, like, what am I even supposed to do with that, Jesus? Like, thanks. Um... In order for us to know how to use the gift, we need to consider the purpose that God has for giving us the gifts. It's called a Danish dough hook. Thank you for asking. Will said it right. Yeah, you make bread with it. It's, it's a special type of whisk. My mom, sweet, sweet Lynn Castle, thought this would be a good gift for me. Thank you, Mom, for the kind, considerate gift. Um. Okay, so we need to consider what God says about these gifts in order to understand the purpose for the gifts. In verse 12, he he tells us in verse 12, he says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Have you considered that the leaders of your church, your actual church, those leaders, are uniquely given by God to use their gifts to serve you? Have you considered that, that he has given you a unique gifting and that he has given you the gift so that you will serve your church? Why has he given us these gifts? It's not for no reason. He says it's to build up. And not, not just to build up, not the, the building, the church. Again, We're not carpenters, right? He, he says we're to build up the people um, and build you up and strengthen you in your faith and your personal gifts. He's given us gifts to equip the church, to do his work. Listen, God has designed his church, his people, not to be motivated by worldly pursuits, but to get our meaning and purpose in life through giving our life and following Jesus. He has designed his people to find meaning and purpose by serving him. Jesus has called us to be a part of his mission of redeeming the world, but he doesn't just call us and then leave us. He calls us and he equips us. He equips us with gifts so that we would be servants and not consumers. Um, So Jesus gifts us and equips us for the church, but he has a future vision as well for what his goal is for the church. The goal of Jesus for his church is in verse 13. It says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ. Jesus' goal for us, for his church, is maturity, and maturity that has Jesus Christ as its model. Jesus, more than anyone, knows you. He sees you. More than anyone, he knows your flaws. He knows the flaws that everybody knows about you. He knows the flaws that only you know about you. He knows the things that you don't even know about you. He saw those things and he loved you. He loves you the way that you are. And he died for you in the way that you are. But he doesn't leave you the way that you are. Paul describes it like this in verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Paul says, hey, you know, you know, like children, you know how they're like kind of unsteady? You know how they kind of wobble everywhere? And it always looks like they're about ready to fall down. You know how they're gullible, how they're finicky with their wants and desires? Well, we're, we're like that too, right? We, we are like that. And, and Jesus does, doesn't want us to live like that anymore. He doesn't just save us of our sin and say, Hey, stop doing that thing. He he gave us his church. He put us in the church. He's given us tools to build us up, to move us towards maturity. And the things that are true of Jesus, through his church, he will make true of us as well. He's gonna Jesus in his church, he makes us steady. Um, steady when we're tempted by, ooh, shiny. Jesus, when we're more like him, he, uh, we will speak the truth to each other. But, but we're not going to be like children speaking the truth. Children, when they speak the truth, they exaggerate. They embellish things. They embellish the truth to make them look good or maybe to protect them. Instead, verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love to each other, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. In the family that Jesus creates, we, when we speak the truth, it will be with the goal of helping us to be more like Jesus. Maturity, the kind of maturity that Jesus is talking about here, it means that when we speak the truth, we speak it with the goal of loving the other person. But And we don't speak the truth because we're looking out for our own interests. We speak because we are looking for the interests of others. In, in case you're unaware of this, Christians, um, sometimes more than other people, tend to have sort of a sketchy relationship with the truth. I personally know the temptation um, to exaggerate and to embellish the truth for my own personal gain, something I didn't really think I was going to talk about. But... It, earlier, like it, when I was a staff member, um, I often was tempted to sort of like embellish my talks, embellish things that I was teaching to other people because I wanted to look good in front of other people. I, I was tempted and often did like plagiarize um, sort of things that other people said because I wanted to teach well, I wanted to be thought of well, I wanted to be thought, I wanted to be like have people's opinions be very high of me. That, that's not truthful, right? That's not. Like, like Jesus. Guys, it's imperative as Christians that we stand for the truth, that we stand for transparency. Our Christian witness to the world, when people look at the church, one thing that's going to stand out very blatantly is when we stand for the things that are true and right, especially when it's costly to us. Sin thrives when the truth is obscured. Church abuse, abuse in churches thrives and is only cap- is only capable of happening when this truth is obscured and and, and darkness is kind of more more real than, than light. So we need to, as Christians, we need to insist that our churches are truthful. We need to insist that our pastors are truthful. but especially, we need to insist that we are truthful. We need to insist on it. And, and why not insist on your friends being truthful with you as well? Why not invite your friends to be truthful when they notice things about you? I promise you, I promise you your friends do notice things about you. Um, and let's be people, let's be Christians who are like Jesus. who We welcome the truth, even when it hurts. The church, in case you haven't noticed... The church is filled with immature and broken Christians. Funny enough, that's actually a prerequisite to being a Christian, is to being broken and immature. Jesus loves us, and he saves us in our brokenness. But he promises that through his church, he won't leave us there. Uh, The last promise that we're going to consider today is Jesus' promise that he will grow us together as a church. Verse 16, it says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. One of the most amazing things that Jesus accomplishes in his church is to bring together a bunch of unrelated, otherwise disjointed individuals into one body. Not around a sports club, but around around himself. Because we're one body, you need the church and the church needs you being with others in a church it's foundational to us being more like jesus our spiritual health is not accomplished by your personal spiritual life by your personal quiet time or or what you feel about jesus you know as an individual our health is is foundational to our relationship with other christians so jesus has designed us to be fit together perfectly and he's growing us fit together perfectly So you need the gifts that your brothers and sisters have for you. But they also need your gifts as well. Let's go back to verse 12 real quick. In in verse 12, he says, their responsibility, talking about pastors, their responsibility is to equip God's people, you, to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Um, Your pastor's work is not to do everything in the church. Your pastor's job is is to equip you to do God's work in his church. Have you considered that you have a God-given responsibility to contribute to the health and growth of your brothers and sisters? I want to ask you, are you taking these truths lightly? Are you calling optional what God has called essential? What do you think? If your friends were looking at your life, what would they say is your relationship with the church? Is it one of convenience or is it one of like desperately needing to see Jesus there? I want to give you a couple, a couple application points, things to take home, things to consider for you. The first is this, because Jesus has designed you to thrive as a member of his body, you just need to pick a church and you need to stick with it. You need to pick a church and you need to stick with it. Um, Now, the the reality is we happen to live in an area of the country that has like a lot of really great churches. It can be tempting to think that if I commit to a church too soon, there's another church out there which is like perfect for me and I'm going to be missing out on it or something like that. Um, Here's the reality. There's no perfect church. We all know that. Here's another reality. There probably are other churches out there which have that thing that you want. And you're going to commit to a church and you're going to realize that there's something about it you don't like and there's probably a church that does it better or at least does it in a way that you enjoy more. That's okay. The objective, is, the objective is to be a healthy part of a healthy body, not to have all of your desires and all of your preferences met by whatever church you commit to. There is like a real danger to what Grace calls Christian speed dating, you know? Like I go to a different church every week and, and um, I'm gonna like go home and I'm gonna pit them against each other in the Pokemon gym in my mind and I'm gonna kind of battle them out like Pokemon. Like this guy's got great worship, this one's got a good looking pastor, this one's got great pews, really comfortable chairs, children's ministry that doesn't have too many kids so I don't have to serve all that often. like um. And then we just kind of like make them battle it out in our minds. Um, so, um, ironically, y- you can see why, you can see how that might be like maybe a little damaging to the way that you think about churches, right? Maybe. Um, ironically, I have found that committing to a church has helped me to be more gracious to other churches and be, be more charitable towards other churches. Um, because like I feel secure and, and safe in my church. I don't have to like Evaluate every church in town, right? So it's important. God has designed you to thrive as a member of a body. So it's important that you pick a church. Visit some churches, all right? I'll give you a freebie. Visit some churches, but you need to pick one because you need to thrive as a member of a church, okay? So the second thing, the last thing I'm going to say is um, because all God's gifts are essential to your thriving, because God is the one that gives gifts essential to your thriving. Crew or any other campus ministry is just not going to cut it, guys. Crew is just not going to cut it. You need to be involved with a local church body. Something my pastor was telling me about yesterday. um, There are like upstream habits and downstream habits. You know what I mean by that? There's going to be things that feel like swimming downstream. Things that are really easy for me, very natural don't require all that much effort. Great. Praise God for those things. There's going to be things in life that feel like swimming upstream. Things that feel a little harder. Things that maybe like make you exert yourself a little bit more than you want to. That doesn't make them bad just because it's hard. Crew is great. Obviously, I believe in the ministry of crew. Like I've been working for crew for eight years. I've committed to crew. Uh, but being here with people that are very similar to you, in a very similar stage of life to you, with very similar interests as you, it's gonna feel easy. It's gonna feel easier to stay here than to go be with the old people in some churches. You know what I mean? Um, crew, there's there's like a place for crew. Crew can help you. Crew can help you to grow very rapidly in these four years in college, but that's the rub. College is for four years. Um, Crew is not reflective of the church as a whole, which God has designed to be multi-generational. He has designed us to be with like the two-year-olds and the 102-year-olds. I think Joe Slater says that. Um, Oh, that guy. Um, Crew is not reflective of the way God has designed his church. It's also not reflective of the way the rest of your life is going to be. You know what I mean? Like, eventually, it's going to be kind of hard to gather with people who have kids and jobs and homes and lots of responsibilities. So when you commit to a church, you're going to kind of experience that difficulty. And that's a good thing because you need to learn and build those habits now. When you graduate, no one is going to be holding your hands and taking you to church or giving you large group talks and motivating you to do it. All right. So spend this time, allow crew help you learn to love a local church now, because when you graduate, it's not just going to happen, right? You need to learn that now. So, and then consider this, the things that you learn in Crew, like how to share your faith, how to lead a Bible study, how to serve well, they can actually help you be a really fantastic church member in the community. And you'll graduate from Crew with certain skills, which your church needs, right? So let, let crew help you do that. Like crew, crew's good. Like no one, no one's telling you not to go to crew. But commit to a church. Let other things go in crew if it means that you get you have to commit to a church. You're able to commit to a church. It's not going to get any easier. So learn to make church the foundation of your Christian walk. Now, okay. So I said a lot. If anything I said is kind of hitting you the wrong way, maybe a little upset. Um, I don't, I don't know what it would be, but. Um, I'd love to hear it. Please allow me the opportunity to clarify and to help you to process this topic. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then the band is going to come back up. Okay? Oh, there's questions. Yeah, Audrey has questions. Um, I will pray after the questions. Audrey. Audrey. We do have questions. We have a couple questions. Oh, a couple. I've never done live Q&A before. Please be easy. It's exciting. Okay. First question. Um, How do I start finding a church in Harrisonburg? Uh, 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 no. (laughs) Okay, that's an easy one. Um, Well, you have um, some amazing resources. Some Mm -hmm. very obvious ones are your friends. Ask your friends where they go. They probably go to a good church, Maybe you should think about what some of your preferences are for a church. It's okay to have preferences, right? Don't hear me say don't have preferences. Think about what some of your preferences are. Think about what churches, maybe meet some of those preferences. If you're a freshman, I understand you don't have a car. You don't just have a way to, to get to a church. So talk to your small group leader. Talk to your hallmates. Ask where they're going to church. If they're not going to church, say, let's go together. And then you get to do two things. You get to share with them gospel and you get to go to church. Um, JamieCrew.com has a list of local churches that we partner with. It's not exhaustive. It's not all the good churches and none of the bad ones. Um, so that, that's a good place to start, JamieCrew.com. Also, I would recommend, like this is so like extra, but like Nine Marks is an organization that evaluates churches and, and like promotes good churches. So, but there's so many ways to find good churches without having to go to like some impersonal outside of Harrisonburg body. So I hope I gave you a good start there. Um, And if you want to talk to me, I'll I'll help point you in the right direction too. Good. All right. Um, Next question. Why are there different denominations of the church? That's an excellent, excellent question. One that I've kind of wrestled with and and felt certain things about in my time as a Christian. Um, Just to speak broadly, 30,000 feet, there are different denominations because there are different persuasions about certain things in the church. So some like clear denominational differences are like mode of baptism. Not should we do baptism, which all Christians agree, but perhaps who should be baptized? When should they be baptized and how should they be baptized? The foundational issue, all Christians agree on. Then there's like these persuasive issues, which Christians are free in grace to disagree on. And there are reasons why someone might want to be in a church where they agree on some of these things. Um, so that's a 30,000 feet view of it, and I think that's sufficient. Um, there are different, different ways to think about different things in the Bible, but when you start differing on convictional-level things, like should we baptize, who is Jesus, they're not denominations anymore. They're really different religions. Um, one thing Matt Smethurst said once is that denominations should be like short chain-link fences, Right? We like easily greet our neighbors over the chain link fence. We're not hiding things from each other. We occasionally jump over the fence and hang out with each other. But it's okay to have some distinctions, but we're not making them things that are like big high walls that so we don't talk to each other. We don't agree. We don't even like each other. Um, short chain link fences. It, those sort of denominations are very fine and, and, and kind things. Okay? Awesome. All right, so we have one more question. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do we differentiate between foundational and secondary beliefs? Oh, that's a great question. Um, So the question is, how do we know what they are? Okay, how do we know what they are? Um, Well, the reason that we're having this series right now is so that you will know what they are, but then you kind of have to take our word for it, don't you? Um, Issues of first importance usually have to do with issues of salvation, right? Like um, things that are like really foundational to how we're saved, in what way are we saved, who saves us. Those are like things that would be really, really hard to convince me we can differ on and still like be cool with each other. I mean, not like personally cool, but like in the same faith. Um, Then like, so then there are like things in the Bible which are very clearly taught, like, you just open your Bible very clearly right there. Um, those are things that'd be hard to convince me we can have different opinions on. There are some things in the Bible which are like clearly taught in maybe two different ways. Things that are not contradictory, but um, things that are not easily reconciled with each other. They can both be true, and we can, we can like allow the grace to, differ, to differentiate those things. Then there are things that like the Bible doesn't teach at all but which are still like kind of relevant to our lives, um, things like how should we vote, what kind of uh, house should I live in, right, what should I, what kind of job should I work in, things that are like really important to your life. But the Bible is not going—you're not just going to open up the Bible and find an answer to that. Those are opinions. Allow the Bible to shape the way that you think about those things, but give lots of grace for people to think differently about it. You know what I mean? Okay. So like issues of first importance are like. Things that um, are foundational to like Christian like concepts like salvation, Jesus, God, things that are like clearly taught. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and listening. If you want to find out more information on what you heard, you can check out our website at jmucrew.com.